DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are joined now by Riley Nelson, BYU football radio analyst. He is on the Sprint special guest line. Lisa Hanset, get an iPad for $99.99. Visit a local Sprint store near you. Riley, good morning. Morning, fellas. How are you? We're good. We were just discussing UMass uh, briefly there and looking at some of their numbers. They give up over 50 points a game, which is the worst out of all 130 teams in the bowl subdivision. And I know anything can happen. And I know UMass beat BYU a couple of years ago in Provo, but I'm looking at the way this BYU team is playing and the way this UMass team is playing, and I'm, I'm, I'm not seeing a storyline here. I'm seeing a beating. Are you seeing it any other way? Yeah, the storyline that, that I'm seeing is cleaning up. So, like, this is a time when they can finally actually put a beating when everyone thought they were going to beat up on someone two weeks ago. People thought that the Liberty victory wasn't enough, even though I think that was warranted. Liberty's a good football team with some good players. Then the state game, it, it ended up fine, but the first half was a little bit lackluster with the offense coming out, you know, newly under Zach Wilson coming back and starting the game off punting the ball to three drives, being, being three and outs, and really having to have a pick six spark the, you know, spark the scoring for the entire team. So this is the opportunity. The storyline for me is, oh, and by the way, the offense uh, racked up ten penalties and uh, and just was really sloppy and underwhelming. So the storyline for me is, right, do they actually come out and take care of business, or is it more, or are we going to continue to not really know what we're going to see week in week out for good or for bad? There's a couple things that I think are uh, going on that are bigger than the game, certainly, and one of them is the contract extension for Kalani Sataki. I don't see how they could do better right now, and maybe they could, but I don't see where there's a slam dunk out there. So I thought it was important to get it done, and I like the way Tom did it among the players because the players have a fond affection for Kalani, and I assume you think it's a good idea too. So rather than ask you that, and one of the things that we've heard from the players is how much they love the guy. How difficult is it for a coach to balance getting your players to run through the proverbial wall for you and loving each other back each in each direction, but at the same time maintaining that authority figure to where if you need to put out the discipline or whatever the tough stuff needs to be, that you can do that? Yeah, I. so a lot of people think... It, the opposite of love is hate, right? So, like, if Coach doesn't like me, he's going to yell at me. And, uh, you know, but if he loves me, he's going to give me kudos and he's going to dap it up with me and he's going to do the jump shoulders, you know, bumps and all that stuff. But the opposite of, like, love or the opposite of a coach, of you being a coach's guy or not, is not whether or not he chews you out. It's, like, the worst thing is you go out, you make a mistake, you come off the sideline and your coach doesn't say anything to you because at that point he doesn't care about you and he's written you off and he doesn't care if you're better as a football player he doesn't care if the team's better he's, he's just kind of off that so I that's and I don't know how you how you help your players understand that because that's not how most kids see the world most kids see the world that that you know the second my coach looks at my coach or parent or whatever authority figure looks at me cross they don't like me and if they don't like me then I don't like them and and, you know, they start feeling sorry for themselves. So I think that's how you – and Kalani, Kalani does have a way of 
putting his arm around guys and letting them know that he cares. Just, so just by Kalani's nature of showing natural interest in the players and their lives, he's going to do that. And then just help them understand. And, and I think he could, on that foundation of being able to put their arm around him and, and do all that, he can also say to their face, like, listen, I'm going to be hard on you because I want you to be a great player. I want you to be a great player here. I want you to contribute to this team. I want the team to be great. And I want you to, you know, to achieve the maximum potential that is available to you as a football player. So that's, that's how I think you can establish it. You, establish, you let them know that, like, hey, yeah, I'm a, I'm a player guy. But a player guy doesn't mean I let you get away with whatever you want. Being a player guy means that I architect a system that makes the most out of you as a football player. And then it's, you know, this isn't specific to BYU, but it's maybe emphasized to BYU a little bit more. But get the most out of you as a football player, but also as a young man and set you up for, you know, success as a man throughout the rest of your life. Riley Nelson joins us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Uh, Penn State's quarterback, Sean Clifford, has deleted his social media accounts after receiving death threats and vulgar messages. Now, it's not that you're old, Riley, because you're not, but social media's changed a lot even since you played. But what kind of blowback did you get from the public? Did you, whether it was letters or social media or stuff people would say to you or your teammates, did you hear many stories about that? Yeah, so um, my social media journey was, I, I had it when I was the backup. So, you know, 2009, no one cared. 2010, um, you know, people hadn't really picked. I mean, people were kind of picking sides, but everybody was still optimistic. And when I say picking sides, between Jake and I, right? But everyone was kind of optimistic. I got hurt early enough in that game, you know, week three of that game, and, and was out for the rest of the season that I, I didn't really get a lot of stuff. And then junior year, and so I was the backup again, and again, no one really cares about you. You can actually grow your hair out, and nobody worries about you. And then the second you come in through a touchdown pass, you got you know folks in the administration telling you you need to cut the hair by tomorrow. And that, you know, next time you show up on campus, your hair better look different. <laughs> That's the story of another day. But um, it's, I, I I I win the job back. Um, obviously, the well documented Utah State thing, and it started. There was an uproar. It was, but it was, it was bifurcated in that a lot of people saying, "Man, love the way you play, love the moment, love you're so you know entertaining, Riley fan, da da da." And then there was a, there was a very large faction of people who felt very passionately that Heaps was the guy that I was undermining his success as a quarterback at BYU, and that therefore was hurting was hurting the program. And there was quite a large and vocal faction on Instagram. <coughs> Sorry, on Instagram and on Twitter, and that continued to grow um, uh, through that year. Where to by the end of that year and into that off season, when he announced his transfer, it was getting so much. It was such. And look, um, I, I, it, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me that much. And I never, by the way, I never got death threats. I just got, you know, you're a selfish player. You're. You know, you're a fullback trying to play quarterback. You're never going to be great at BYU. You're, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I've been a lifelong BYU fan. But as long as you're a quarterback, I can't cheer for him. Like it was stuff like that. Which, whatever. That, the way I viewed that, anybody who's going to go be a keyboard hero, hide behind an anonymous user account on, you know, on a social media, and say things that they would never have the guts to say to me in, in real life, that shows to me that they have, they have the issues, right? It's not, it's not me. It's they have something deep-seated inside of them that makes them feel the way that somehow they get gratification or 
or a little bit of satisfaction out of that. And and it's and it's a hollow and a and an unsatisfying gratification and gratification at that. So it wasn't like I was offended. It wasn't keeping me up at night, but just with my you know it was a it was a constant drip and in my mentions and as I was using social media like for me my Instagram was much more like friends and family and things like that and and not so much about football but my Twitter was more about football and interacting with teammates and things like but it would just be constant it would be daily in my mentions with someone trying to you know dunk on me or tell tell me you know how how bad of a person or how bad of a player I was and it just got to be so big of a distraction that by the end of my junior year, I, I deleted all my social media too, and didn't get back on it until, you know, I think I, I think I rejoined Twitter probably a year and a half after graduating, and I'm not a photographer, so I'm still not back on I'm still not back on Instagram. That's that's just not my deal for me. But uh, it it was a it was a huge distraction. I don't know if he feared for his safety. I never feared for my safety. The insults never really mattered to me what much. But it was a distraction. I, I will say this, though, just being 100% honest. But the hard thing was, aside from just the distraction and the dumb comment, the hard thing was that it would take a lot of energy to not respond. Because you never want to get in the in the mud with these trolls because it, it's, it's no winning. They're always in it, and they don't have anything at stake. And a lot of times they're anonymous, and so there's nothing out there for them. So it's a lose-lose for you as, as the one they're taking shots at to ever go back at them. But, you know, the competitor in you, the ego in you, the, the just, you know, if they were to come up to me on the sidewalk and say some of that stuff, I'd step to them. And, if, you know, I, I'd, I'd take care of my business if I needed to take care of my business. But in the in the Twitter sphere, and the fighting in the back and forth, it, it's a losing battle. And, and so I figured, look, rather than just, like, continue to – resist fighting and continue to have to deal with these distractions just to lead it off. Yeah, that's why every night after we say grace before we eat, I tell my kids, anybody gets in your face, F them. I mean, it's just the philosophy, and it's it's worked for my family. You know, you can decide what you want to do with yours, but uh, that's what we do. Yeah, I mean, you got, you got to stand up for yourself, because in today's world, um, if you don't stand up for yourself, no right. one else will. Exactly. Uh, and you can... And you can and you can learn lessons, you know. And you learn lessons for good and for bad. You know, there were times when I'm like, all right, I I, I stepped up there and I overreacted, and I, I regret doing that. But there was other times where I was like, that guy needed to be put in his place, and I put yeah. him in his place, and and it probably better off than doing it. You know, in addition to the hair and the abs, the attitude, Riley. I always thought we were twins of different mothers. Man, we got those things. All of them in common. It's obvious you and I have had a connection that is just, it's unspoken, but it's deep. Yeah, well, my life can turn out to be, you know, half the life that you can do. In other words, you know, being kindred spirits, then I will be tickled pink. I'll be just... I'll be just so happy. <laughs> I wanted to bring up something that I think folks that are inside the program have known this for a good while. And maybe some folks had put it out there. And I'm talking about all the stuff that's available and the money that's spent on the BYU football program versus the money that's spent on programs that they're expected to compete with out on the field. And I, I can recall when the assistant coaches all went with Bronco. I spoke to some of them, and they were talking about what was going to be available with, for them back there in Virginia versus what was available here, and it wasn't even close. And then you get a kid like Tanner Mangum, who's just been in the program, obviously, and now he's out of it, going on Twitter talking about how, okay, 
is good that you extended Kalani. Now, here's some other things that you need to do. And he put that on Twitter. And some people said, you know, basically he used the word resources. And some people said, well, what are you talking about? And he goes, recruiting budget is limited. Nutrition and food budget is limited. Coaching and support staff salaries are far below P5 average. Players don't have access to facilities overall the money excuse me overall the monetary focus isn't where it needs to be to keep up with top p5 programs and guys who've been in the program know of this and i think it's it's no secret can byu be able to compete at the level that it wants with to the point of almost taking it as a stance of pride we're cheap so (laughs) when you say BYU compete at the level that it wants. There are different factions of BYU. There's the BYU fan base. There's the players and coaches. There's the academic side of BYU, and then of course it is you know it's owned by by a religious institution. And one of the one of the reasons why this is even a debate is because when you say what BYU wants, or we look at the expectations for the program. I do not believe that, that those are uniform across all of those different factions. I believe that um, different ones are, with, with the way the program has been in recent years, as much frustration as that has caused people, I think there, is, there are some people that are just okay with it. Look, there's been, there's been no scandal. I mean, the closest thing was uh, our boy, you know, maybe Kainakua might be another one after his performance in the, in the Miami Bowl, right? Although, you never punch a dude from behind, right, PK? We'd never do that. But the closest thing they've had to a scandal in the recent years is, uh, you know, is a, is, a, is a melee, and that really that blew over quite quite quickly. But the program, for the most part, kept its nose clean. It hasn't been a, I mean, it hasn't reached the depths of, of what UMass is going through as far as 1 in 10 giving up 50 uh, points a game, and there's no light at the end of the tunnel. So they haven't fallen that far. They had the one year without bowl eligibility. But other than that, you know, they've made – Bowls and you know, 15 out of the last 16 years or whatever it is, and and I and I think that's okay. And so the investment, is, you know, to, to increase the investment for for some of those factions, they say, why we're getting what we need. We get nationally televised games. It's promoting the brand. It's it, it's overall good. And then there are those who are starved for excellence. And if they if they want to achieve that excellence, then then Tanner makes valid points. You need. Look, I, I only spent one season coaching my little brother. I was offensive coordinator at Logan High, and we 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 had a great team. And um, people always ask me how it was going. But towards the end of the season, we got into the playoffs, and one of our best players got suspended, and one of our best players got hurt. And we ended up losing a close game in the playoffs that we shouldn't have lost. So everybody asked me, what was it like to coach? I'm like, coaching's great when you got guys. When you got players, coaching is awesome. When you don't, it is miserable and you know and so that when it when he talks about recruiting budget he talks about being able to compete with p5s across that for athletes yeah in order to achieve excellence you need better dudes in order to get better dudes then you have to at least meet the status quo if not exceed the status quo in recruiting those those guys to come play in the program but um just and then just the elephant in the room and i i'm gonna do i like i often do on your guys' show throughout a disclaimer there where the church, it, it, right now, the athletic program, contrary to what many believe, I've, I've heard this from everybody from the president of the university through Tom Homo and down through the coaches, it is self-sustaining. In other words, the revenues that fund only come from the revenues generated within the athletic program. They do not come from 
the, the other funds that subsidize the academic portion, which we all know come from tithings, offerings, and donations made to the church, right? Made to the religious institution. The, the only way to substantially increase that athletic budget is two ways. One, get to a conference. That's why we're all playing for that. Then that increases the revenue significantly coming into the athletic program. Or two, take some of those church funds and, and, uh, and subsidize or and contribute to the athletic budget. Now, Here's the, here's the reason why I feel like that hasn't happened at this point. Is they, BYU has kept their nose clean, but every time we turn around, there's a different scandal involving sports across the NCAA. And so uh, with the optics for the church, let's say they are paying, let's say they are paying a coach three to four million dollars, and half of that is made up of of church members religious contributions, right? They're making a tithing contribution or they're making an offering contribution that's going to the building up and the furthering of Christianity in the world, which which entails helping the needy and the poor and then also, you know, supporting the church and its facilities and, and, and its goals. And $2 million of that $4 million salary is, is subsidizing it. And then there is a, a, you name it, scandal. There's a cheating scandal or there's a you know, there's inappropriate recruiting, like like it's happened. At I would say hair that it's goes done. a little below the collar. Yeah, or, or even hair that goes a little below the collar. You, so you get something like that, and now you have members of the church that are saying, you're telling me that the money that I put forward to help further Christianity in the world is now subsidized the program that has done that. That's the risk that's, that's out there, and that's a very real risk. And so they haven't pulled... In my reason, that's one of the reasons why they haven't pulled the trigger. Now, I don't have, I'm not, I'm not speaking with the, you know, the board of directors or any of the guys that, that make those decisions in regards to the church. But that's, and sorry to kind of go on a, a long, a long monologue here, but I do see the rock in the hard place that the ultimate decision makers, which are the leaders of the academic university and those involved in the church, why they have not been quick to to subsidize the athletic budget with, you know, what what they deem sacred funds. Riley, we will be back to discuss your hair and your abs again next week. <laughs> you enjoy the trip to UMass and what should be a big BYU win, and then uh, we'll look ahead to San Diego State. That'll be a good game to wrap it up. Okay, always a pleasure, fellas. Thank you. Thank you, Riley. Riley Nelson, BYU football radio analyst, joining us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.